Good morning and welcome to The Battle is Within. Um, today is uh, session number 23. We are continuing on in the study of uh, Who is Jesus? And uh, it has taken us, uh, we're going on close to getting closer and closer to that half a year mark, uh, working through every Sunday morning, for the most part every Sunday morning, uh, going through uh, learning about the life of Jesus. Today, we're going to be focused on uh, finishing up, for the most part, we'll still see John the Baptist a little later on uh, whenever uh, he is actually in prison and he has somebody ask, he asks a question about Jesus while he's in prison. But we're going to go ahead and finish, can, you could say finish him off today, I guess, uh, but finish off his impact and his ministry uh, today. So we're going to get started. Before we get started, though, let's start off with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have that we can come and we can worship you. I thank you, Lord, for your great power, your great mercy, your great blessings on our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you loved us in spite of ourselves. For yet while we were sinners, you died for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to ever remember that, that we're not better than anyone else. You know, we don't look down our noses upon the sinner we weep for the sinner. We, we feel sad for them that they don't know the truth. We don't want to see anyone. Lord, I know you said you're not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Lord, I know that you said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. Lord, I know said let them all come. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us in this Christmas season to recognize the gift that you gave was for all men, all filthy sinners whose righteousness is no better than filthy rags. Lord, help us to not become so proud of ourselves that we forget the needs of others. But thank you, Lord, for this Christmas season. Thank you for the gift that you send us. And now, Lord, I pray as we study in here, as we continue to learn about the uh, about who you are, that we can learn about uh, your servant, uh, John the Baptist, and finish up with his ministry and see why his life was so important. Again, we thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, again, let's cover just a little bit of review. Uh, last week, we uh, saw that where the ministry of John the Baptist was beginning to fade, you'll remember uh, uh, uh this was really should have been anticipated because John's message was, get ready, he's coming. Get ready, he's coming. Get ready, he's coming. Well, now he's come. There's really no need to say, get ready, he's coming. The message is, he's ready. get ready now. He's here now. You know, the message to us today to tell the world is, Jesus has already come, but he's coming again. And he's coming to take his church home with him. Don't you want to be part of that church? Don't You do not want to be left behind as the series and the movies and all that showed and demonstrated and talked about revelations and leaving behind. I know our pastor is going through the book of Revelations every Wednesday night in detail. And uh, we don't want to be those that are left behind. For those that are left behind and those who come to know the Lord during the tribulation period will give their lives as the cost of that. Today, it is easy. Yes, you say it's hard to be a Christian. No, it's not. Today is easy to be a Christian in most places in America. 
Now, do you get persecuted a little bit? Sure. Do you get ridiculed? Sure. But it's nothing like in parts of the world where men and women and boys and girls are being martyred while we speak because of the cause of Christ. But Jesus said to the, the that John said of himself, I must he must increase and I must decrease. So today we're going to see how John's ministry kind of ended. You know, this is important. It has to happen. Why is this part of the life of the time Jesus? Because when you read in Matthew 4.12, after the things of Jesus that he did, it says, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. See, it. this was a key point, a milestone Something that had to happen. Something that was on God's timetable. How do Mark 1.14 says, Now after that John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel. See, it was a milestone. It was something that had to be done. Luke 3.19-20 said, But Herod the patriarch, being reproved by him for Herodias his brother Philip's wife and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above, that he shut John in prison. So we see that the, the gospel writers all said this was a key milestone in the life of Jesus. So we're going to be talking about it today. Today we're going to look at John's imprisonment, his eventual death, and the ending of his public ministry of John the Baptist. Now, as we look at Scripture, we're, we'll look at uh, 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 John the Baptist in basically uh, two books. We're going to look at um, we'll look at Matthew. It, it's covered in Matthew fourteen three through five, and Mark six seventeen through twenty, and then Luke uh, nineteen and twenty talks about him being put in prison. But we're going to focus on basically uh, Matthew and Mark that covers more details of this particular event. Uh, John, remember John the ba John the Apostle, writing his gospel, wrote it after the other disciples wrote their materials. So when we see something else about John the Baptist, it occurs because it was not covered already. But Matthew and Mark do a great job at covering this particular event, so John does not cover it. Okay, so let's go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 3. For John had laid hold of... For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him into prison. So Herod, remember Herod is a name that is used throughout. It's a family name. Um, it, it, it's easy to get confused of all the different Herods in the New Testament. The original was called Herod the Great. And uh, remember, Herod was the great, was the one who slew all those children in Bethlehem, the one that the wise men had gone to and asked about the birth of Jesus. And then because he felt they had been betrayed, went and slew all the children, male children in Bethlehem, two years of age and under. So we know that was Herod the Great. He had three sons and one daughter. The uh, oldest son's name was Archelaus. The second one was Philip, the third was Antipas, and the fourth was a daughter named Shalom. She was later called Shalom the first because we'll see that there was another woman named Shalom later. The other descendants of Herod, uh, from Herod the Great, was Herod Agrippa, who you'll remember, he's the Herod who slew James and imprisoned Peter. 
He was the grandson of Herod the Great. Then you have Herod Agrippa II. This is Herod before whom Paul was tried. Uh, he was the great grandson of Herod the Great. And the one thing that was in common of all these Herods were that they were Edomites. They were really not legally, they were not heirs of the throne in any way. They were political appointees. Uh, they had Edomite blood in their veins and they hated the Jews. You say they were in charge of, yes, but they were in charge of the Jews. They were treacherous rulers who ruled in the Bible. They kind of typified the God of that age. You know, the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, all of them were liars and murderers. All of them. There were none of them that were good. When Herod the Great died, see, the kingdom was divided into four parts, with each of their children having a different part of it. So the one that we're going to be focusing on for most of our study, because he ruled the area of Palestine where Jesus was at, was Herod Antipas. Well, Herod Antipas is not really a king, right? He's merely a patriarch. A patriarch meaning a ruler of a fourth part of the kingdom. He ruled Galilee and Perea. And his rule began in 4 BC at the death of his father and lasted until AD 39. Um, background history a little bit about, about uh, uh, Antith Ant Antipas is that uh, he was married to a um, uh, Nabatine Nab wife, the daughter of uh, Aardas IV, who was the king of the desert kingdom. And he uh, put his wife aside or rebuked her or whatever, sent her back to her father uh, and married his uh, half-brother's wife. Because, see, um, there was four children, but they were not all four children from the same mother, of course, from Herod the Great. So uh, he divorced the Nabatine wife, the daughter of Archippus IV, and uh, married Herodias. Now, the marriage of Herodias... His former father-in-law offended his father-in-law, of course. Uh, Aardas um, IV, it offended him, of course, and it alienated the Jewish subjects. Because here this man had taken, not only had he divorced his wife, but he had and re, and broke a bond with a neighboring uh, uh, enemy, uh, warriors, uh, that, that, that was done is to establish peace. But he also... Um, married his niece. I mean, the incestuous relationship. And he married the wife of another brother, of a brother. I mean, it was, you know, you've ever seen a, draw, a soap operas? If you're a soap opera watcher, this could have been a soap opera in that day. I can imagine the people sitting around the campfires or the water pots and talking about what's going on today with King Herod. King Herod and Antipas and Herodias and what's going on with them? Um, this is the same Antipas was the Herod we know who killed John the Baptist. 
He was also the person who was to judge Jesus when he was put on trial in Luke 23. We'll see him again. So this is who we're talking about here. We also know that uh, uh, later in life, Antipas, uh, he develops a, remember he's there because of political influence. So he has a close relationship to the imperial family at that time. And um, he was chosen as a mediator in the Roman Parthenon talks of 36 AD. So it made him a mediator between those two entities. And uh, to his credit, the conference was a pretty good success. And in Antipas's haste to report the news to Rome, you know, that he would get the glory for it, he aroused the hostilities of Alias Vitilius, which was a legate of Syrian of Syria, um, uh, the late emperor. He was a he was a uh, uh, associated with the with the former emperor, and that made uh, him not look like he was in charge. And so he was politi- political stuff, folks. He offended this other political opponent by getting a leg up on people. You know, today, those that run for office, I, I'm a town councilor of town of Smithfield, one of the things that they recommend that we do is that we get the news out there first, that we go to, go if we're going to reelect, make sure people know that. And the reason for that is simple, because if people know you're running, then they know whether or not what type of mountain we need to do. If you're going to be an incumbent, it becomes more difficult for the most time. And so, therefore, if you get the news out earlier, it becomes, sometimes it just persuades other people for joining in. Of course, sometimes it makes them say, well, if he's running again, I'm going to run against because I didn't like what he did, which is fine. The point is, getting the word out there first. So, Antipas jumps the gun and gets the information to Rome without any input at all from Vitellius. From, from Vitellius. So, about 730, about AD 37, the Nabataean king a artist, the fourth, who remember whose daughter that Ant- Antipas had repudiated, he attacks Herod's realm. He attacks the area of the, he attacks the soldiers for Herod Antipas, inflicting severe damage. Because he's still reeling over this thing, what he did to his daughter. You know, you can insult a man or a woman, but you insult their children. That's a different story. So uh, Aardus was really ticked. And when Antipas appealed to Rome for help, the emperor said, guess who? Vitilius. Well, now, Vitilius, you know, still had a political thing against against, uh, uh, Antipas, and he didn't want Antipas to look good, so he delayed his arrival as much as he could, which really put a lot more pressure on, on uh, Antipas, and it just, you know, because he wasn't, things weren't going very well because they didn't get the help from Rome. So then after um, um, Caligula became emperor in 37, um, Herodias, envious of her brother Agrippa I's success, Remember, Agrippa I was Herodias' brother. They're all related here. And so she was envious of the of Agrippa I's success. And so she persuaded her husband, Antipas, 
to denounce him before the emperor. So Antipas went and talked to uh, Caligula, the new emperor, and badmouthed Agrippa I to try to prevent him from getting more prestige um, as a result of, of, of Herodias's jealousy. Well, the problem was uh, King Agrippa, I mean, Agrippa I was a close friend to, to Caligula. That was not known, evidently, by Antipas. So Agrippa I, anticipating, by the way, that Antipas would do so, he levied charges, particularly true, partially true, against him before he even got there. So Caligula banishes Antipas to Gaul. He strips him of his kingdom, of his patriarch kingdom, and sends him to Gaul, and sends Herodias with him and uh, takes the territory that uh, uh, Herod Antipas has and gives it to Agrippa I. That's why Agrippa is there and the one who kills James and, 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 and uh, persecutes Peter. So that's how he gets that territory. Now, little is known about Antipas' life after his exile, but... Uh, the Jews, by the way, believe that a lot of this happened because of the way uh, the way Antipas treated John the Baptist. Uh, so, but that's the story of of Herod Antipas and what's going on with that. It's kind of like I said, kind of like a soap opera to keep up with. Let's get back to our story about John, though. Now, so we know the character of of, of what's going on. It's important to understand Herod, understand his political, understand Herodias understand that stuff going on there. So it says, we just read the first part of the verse, right? The first part of that verse said, I'll go back to it again. First part of the verse said, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him into prison. Matthew 14, 3. So let's go back to go to the next part of that verse. And laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. Notice they said, his brother Philip's wife. See, uh, so Herod sent soldiers and arrested John the Baptist and put him in prison. So now we have to look at the next character is Herodias. Well, Herodias was the daughter daughter of uh, Archelaus, which was, remember, one of the sons of Herod the king. Or we could say the brother of Antipas. So Antipas' brother, Archelaus, had a daughter, Named Herodias. Now, interesting enough, Herodias married his other brother, Philip. So you had Archelaus, Antipas, and Philip. Well, Philip marries the daughter of Archelaus. That's incest. He marries the, his niece. Well, now we see that he, then Philip divorces his niece, and when he divorces his niece, uh, uh, Antipas takes her to be his wife and kicks out. Remember the uh, uh, the the um, the the um, princess, the daughter of uh, a artist from the wilderness kingdom. What a mess! Now John, seeing this, <laughs> didn't like it. 
obviously this is terrible. And this is supposed to be the leader, of the, the, the king of the area where the Jews are at. Supposed to be the, the king of the, the Jewish kingdom. Even though we know he wasn't legally, by law, by, by, by Jewish traditions, supposed to be in that condition, but he was there. So he did not like what, but so she was talking about it. See, Herodias did not like what John was saying. So she had Herod Antipas arrest John and put him in prison. The prison they put him in is at, um, uh, these names are really tough to name, you know, uh, but uh, I'm going to do my best I can. Put him at um, uh, Marcius in Perea on the eastern side of the Dead Sea near the former frontier of the Tatriarch. Antipas had a place at a palace and the palace had a prison all under one roof, which is really was common in the East. We see if you watch a lot of TV programs of uh, you know movies they made up, you would see the king and they had a dungeon. So they had a prison within the king's castle. Um, and by the way, this this uh, it was really this is very common for these uh, frugal castles to have those. Interesting enough, their remains of the building, that John was held in is still visible today, probably uh, uh, where the actual John the Baptist prison was at is what still remains that you can see. Um, they tell me, again, archaeologists say that. I've never been there. I know people who've been over there. I don't know if they actually had an opportunity to see that particular area, but they appear to still be there. Herod lived in this border fortress to, to prosecute the war with his offended father-in-law, uh, uh, he, he, so he stayed there. This is why Herod stayed here in this compound, uh, so that he could, uh, uh, continue to fight this ongoing war now with Aardus, constantly going on forever. You know, even though we only learned a little bit about it, it was always going on. So the question then comes, the next verse we're going to look at was John is put into prison, but why? Why was he put into prison? Well, we've already talked about a little bit about this. Mark chapter six, verse 17. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother's Philip's wife. And listen to the last one. For he had married her. So Herod personally gives the order of John to be arrested. And uh, he was arrested for his brother's wife's request. See, it, uh, as a non-biblical source, the Jewish historian Josephus recounts all of this. If you don't know, if you want to read an interesting history book, remember it's not gospel, so if it differs from the gospel, then it's not correct. But uh, it has a pretty good, uh, uh, takes you, really lets you understand about the Jewish history. It gives you insights to things that we didn't know. I mean, you know, history passes down back then, person to person, and Josephus was a Jew, and uh, he was he did a lot of writing of history. Now he rewrote a few things of history, so I said make sure that you read it right. But 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 where he talks about a lot of this stuff is pretty amazing. And uh, he recounts that Herod had John imprisoned and killed. So it's actually in the history books of this from Josephus. Now, Josephus's view was that John was uh, 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 was taken into prison because he had, quote, the great influence John had over the people. That's why he said he had him in prison. But the reality is, um, 
And the and the reason they said that the reason why he did that was because he was afraid that John might raise a rebellion. Um, you know, they seemed to be do they would do anything he asked, but that would be really ridiculous because there was no way John in any way indicated any sign of rebellion or being against the kingdom to do anything of that nature. He just talked to him about his sin. And, and so the Bible really talks about it that way. Josephus further states that many Jews believe that the military disaster that fell upon Herod was God's punishment for his unrighteous behavior towards John. So I would go back and say that, that the, the reason why he put him in prison was clearly not politically motivated, but because of his uh, stand against him and his sin and his wife's sin. More so his wife's sin than his sin. I don't really think um, Herod had anything uh, really one way or the other for John. I think it was because of his wife. You know, if your wife has a problem, then she makes it your problem. And uh, a wife who has a problem, you're not going to resolve it unless you, you must take attention to it. You must pay attention to it, my man. It don't, you know what I mean, man. That's just the way it is. I would say probably true for women, too. If the man has a problem, the woman has to deal with it. So I'm not trying to be uh, sexist or something like that. Simply saying that, as you know, in this case here, Herodias had a problem with John, and therefore, uh, Anubis had a problem with John. Anyway, the Bible tells us that Herod had John arrested at the request of his brother's wife. And it said that, right? I mean, the verse says, um, John bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. Now, remember, he had divorced her. But here John says, I mean, Mark says that she was seen by the Jews as Philip's wife. And then it says, for he had married her. So this is now, not only is it, now it's adultery. It's, uh, uh, it's considered, um, you know, um, a woman having two husbands. You know, it was really, it was pretty bad in the, in the eyes of the Jews. Remember, he's supposed to be the ruler of the Jews. It's not what we think is right. It's what they thought was right at the time. So the Bible sees how, we see how now that Philip's incestuous relationship with his niece had spread to an incestuous relationship with another uncle, Herod Antipas. I mean, what a night, what a mess here. Uh, it was, you know, the Bible says, same in the days of Noah, they were married and giving in marriage until the days when Noah came. Well, here is an example of just sexual improprieties and perversions. Now, Philip had divorced her, and now she had married to his brother, her other uncle. Now, John told them publicly this was unlawful. Matthew 4.14 For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. Evidently, John personally told King Herod Antipas that it was not lawful, because John said unto him, he didn't say to the public, he said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. You know, we need to be careful when we badmouth people. If you have a problem with somebody, the Bible says, go to them and tell them. No doubt John the Baptist went to Antipas and told him, Antipas, you are sinning. This is not lawful for you to do this. It is not lawful for you to have her. John no doubt did that. So John the Baptist denounces his adultery. Herodias' first marriage with her full uncle Philip 
an erroneous second marriage, if one could even call it a marriage, justified by law, because it wasn't, then Herodias's first husband and Herod's first wife were both living. Antipas was her step-uncle. This has been, would have been what we call the triple whammy of unlawfulness in the eyes of the Jews. So it was sin piled upon sin piled upon sin, and John called it out. Now, you say, well, why did they just kill him? Because they couldn't, they certainly were not above doing that. They were vile people, and we know that they, they, you know, they kill people at their will. They ordered it, and it was done. So why did they just kill John? Well, Matthew 14, 5, and Luke 6, we'll leave both of them. Matthew 14, 5 says, And when he would have put him to death, this being Antipas, would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. So he said, Matthew 14 says, the reason why Herod did not have John put to death was because he feared the, the people. Because the people thought of John as a prophet. They believed him to be a man of God. And for him to put together the man of God, it could have caused a rebellion. Not that they would have led, John would have led them to rebel, but the death of John would have led them to rebel. Because they would have been so upset by his, that would have been the last straw for them. I mean, they knew they were violating the Jewish law and all that stuff. How much, how much do you take? You know, we live in a political system today that when the question is asked to the average person, how much do you take? How much immorality do you take? How much perversion do you take among our federal government in the United States? You know, I mean, we think about it that way. When we look at the, 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 the murder of innocent lives, we look at the alternate lifestyles, we look at the, the way that we treat people, uh, uh, you know, that we do things, what right is wrong and wrong is right. How much longer do we take that? Well, the final straw they, that, 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 that uh, uh, Herod felt, the final straw was going to be this. Yeah, if we put John to death, I just don't think I can prevent a rebellion. <laughs> Mark 16, 19, 20 says, though, a little different story. Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. See, Herodias wanted to kill him. His wife wanted, her, wanted him dead. She wanted him dead immediately. Well, but Herod, we saw Anticipus said, he feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So it says here that whenever Antipas heard John, he knew John was a righteous man, was a holy man, was not worthy of him killing him. And he, he heard him, it says, observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things. So John had an influence over this evil man, Antipas. So, so John actually helped Antipas be a better ruler. And so Antipas did not want to kill John. He became a valued uh, ally to him in prison. It's kind of like, you know, a, a, a person can be lost, but when they go to church and listen to the church and listen to the preaching, listen to the gospel, that may lead them to do more things that are more righteous. They're still lost. They're still going to hell, but they can live better. You know, we always have the debate on, on different political leaders that may come out and their, their lifestyle is not that of Christianity. We clearly see they don't have the signs of Christianity, but yet their, their, their works 
are aligned to the Christian values. They're listening to the Christian values to do what's right. Therefore, even though they may not be right, and we're not here to be a judge of them, but we can be inspectors of their fruit, they may not have fruits that are worthy to be counted on, but their pathway is being led. They're allowing the righteous words of God's word and others to persuade them to do the right thing. And so here we see the same thing here with John. John was having that influence over him, and Herod liked it. Herod thought it was great advice. Uh, by the way, this is a reason, another reason why John had to go. Because Jesus had to die on the cross. And when Jesus was presented to Herod, if John had been around, John would have defended Jesus vigorously and would have told him who he was vigorously. And that would have hindered Herod from not taking any action. Herod didn't take any action, but sent him back to Pilate. The point is Herod could have released him, but he did not. And that's because, but if John the Baptist had been around, that might have happened. John had to get out of the way because John was a positive influence on Herod. It appears that Herodias wanted John dead, but Antipas did not. Antipas feared the people. He also feared his wife. But one thing we know for sure, he did not fear God. So he kept John in prison. He compromised. He would occasionally listen to John in prison, listen to him preach, and it did change the things that, that Antipas did. So here it heard the greatest prophet ever sent and yet refused to submit to the word of God. You know, people today can hear the greatest preachers and yet fall short of understanding and accepting Christ. So now we see the next part. John is put into prison, finally. He's finally killed in prison. Mark 6, 21 through 29 is where we're going to be focusing the rest of our study here today. Mark 6, 21 says, And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief of the states of Galilee. So, he said, when a convenient day was come, this was Herodias' perspective. A convenient day, when things were lining up right, when it was convenient, not for Herod, not for John, but for Herodias' sake. See, she waited patiently and planned the events that would take place. Because remember, Herodias wanted him dead, but John, but, but Antipas did not. So she could not do anything. She could not override the wishes of the king. So it says on that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. The occasion was Antipas's birthday. Herodias uh, probably created the attendees list. She made sure she included magistrates or officials of the court. These were their political powers, the most politically powerful people in the kingdom. She said the chief captains, literally the captains of a thousand, the same word is used in Acts, in the Roman Legion. These were military powers. So you had the, the, you had the political powers, you had the military powers, and then you had the chief men, probably landholders or, or the financial power. So she had the political powers there of the, the kingdom, the most politically powerful, the most military powerful, and the most financially powerful people in the kingdom. She had the who's who's list here on this occasion. 
in Matthew 26, Matthew Mark 6, 22, 23 says, And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto half of my kingdom. This is the setup. The setup. All the pyre brokers are in the room to ensure that Antipas's plan follows through with Herodias' plan. See, she had to put Antipas in a corner to force him to do this. So Herodias had given the plan to her daughter, Shalom. Yes, Salome, according to Joseph, uh, uh, Josephus, her name was Salome. No doubt named after the after Aunt Antipas and Philip's sister. Now, just to let you know that later on, according to uh, the historian, Salome afterward married twice. She mar married Philip, the patriarch of uh, Traconius. That's her paternal uncle. So she married her daddy's brother. Philip, right? Uh, remember, so she married a Philip. Anyway, Artabus, the king of Chalice, uh, that's who she married. She married Artabus. She married, so she married, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, in other words, she followed in her mother's footsteps. It's, it really becomes confusing. You have to almost have pencil and paper and watch the chart. But Salome followed in her mother's footsteps. Um, so we see the setup. This was the setup. There's her daughter. They set this up. They brought all this stuff in. And uh, uh, he gives a plan to her daughter on what she's supposed to do. Now let's look at the trap. All the power brokers in the room to ensure that Antipas followed through on her daughter's plan. A luxurious feast was provided. And uh, uh, during, and remember, luxurious feasts during that period did not end until they had some type of lewd, gross, gross lewd dancing performance, some type of uh, 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 sexually enticing dance by the, the, the women of the area came in and danced before the men. And that was the way that the, the feast actually ended. Now, did it end afterwards? Were there improprieties done with those women afterwards? I can't tell you that. I'm sure there are many cases that would be the case. But in this case here, the feast was come, and we knew that happened at the end. Herod, no doubt, being an evil man, adopted this fashion at the end of the day that after the king's banquet, after the birthday, here comes, you know, we like Marilyn Monroe that came up and sang to, to King, King, came and sang to, uh, um, John F. Kennedy on his birthday. Remember, we got videos of that. Well, this is similar to that. It's like, you know, she came in. Uh, so Herod, no doubt, had this evil fashion. Well, what surprised everybody and surprised Antipas was when he sees his stepdaughter. Remember, this is not his daughter by blood. This is his niece, his stepdaughter, his niece. The princess steps into the room, barely dressed, and performs for the crowd. Now, this is the granddaughter of Herod the Great, uh, the descendant of Simon of the high priest, the grand line of the Maccabean princess. This, she will later on become the wife of the patriarch and mother of a king. And here she is, comes and dances this lewd, uh, 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 barely scant dressed dance before these men. So the rat takes the cheese. Antipas was so pleased he offered her anything 
up to half his kingdom as a reward for her dancing. Now, this was a teenage girl. There's no way he would anticipate that she requests what she requested. So, he, but he gave her anything she wanted. And he did this in front of these honored guests. You know, the most powerful men in the kingdom. He swore to give her whatever she asked. Mark 6, 24, 28 says, And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she straightway came in with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceedingly sorry, for yet for his oath's sake and for their sake which sat with him, he could not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. See, the trap is sprung. We saw the setup. We saw the, 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 the cheese was in the trap, and now we see the trap is sprung. Salome immediately goes to her mother and asks what she should do, ask for. Now, I believe she already knew, but she just wanted a confirmation before she did it. Now, Herodias does not hesitate at all. It appears very little time elapsed because the crowd is still there. They need to be there, right? She can't wait days to decide. She has to do it immediately. It says straightway with haste. She came back and she asked for the head of John the Baptist. Now, the king would be discredited for him not to do exactly what she asked him. She, seeing he has sworn an oath in front of these power brokers, the most politically powerful, the most military powerful, and the most financially powerful men in the country. They promised him anything up to half his kingdom. So, Antipas doesn't hesitate. He immediately sends the executioner and beheads John. There's no need to debate on it. It's got to be done. I don't like it. She got me. I've been got. I ain't happy about it. But my own fault. He brings the lead to the head and the charger to Salom, who then presents it to her mother. The trap was sprung. John the Baptist was murdered. Mark 6.29 says, And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. This is important. This is an important verse because we see John is dead. We see John is buried. And we see, therefore, John is not the Messiah because his tomb is still full. John's tomb was full. Anybody could go see the tomb of John the Baptist. It was full. If their archaeologists could find it today, they would find the bones of John the Baptist. Because he's dead. He's not the Messiah. This had to be proven. There was many people that believed John to be the Messiah. John is not the Messiah. The Messiah's tomb is empty. The Messiah is alive. He died for our sins, but rose again on the third day. So we see this had to be, this is why this is an important verse. In conclusion, John the Baptist had a mission. And that mission, as you remember, was to prepare the way of the king. He did it perfectly. John did exactly what God had asked him to do. Even in his imprisonment, he had the opportunity that not many people afforded the ability to preach to the king. Now, the king didn't accept. But remember, it's not our responsibility our responsibility is the effort, not the response. 
John had the opportunity and took those opportunities, it said, to preach to him often. And it, and it made a difference in the life of the king, but the king chose not to accept. Could the king have been saved? Could the king have been a follower of Jesus? Absolutely. He had an opportunity, but he chose to reject. See, John preached until the end and was seen as the greatest prophet to have ever lived. Luke 7, 28 says, And I say unto you, this is Jesus, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. You know, we see, we will, now, let me just say this. We will see another moment in the life of John the Baptist uh, that will show his human nature. But today we will thank God for sending a man named John and what he did to prepare the way. Now, let me just talk to you for a moment. If you don't know the way today, remember Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the light. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you don't know Jesus today, tis the season. Tis the season. Seek him as he's ready for you. For today is the day of salvation. John the Baptist was a great prophet who loved God, served God to the end, and did whatever God asked him to do. And that meant being kept in prison and martyred for the cause of Christ, he was more than willing to pay that price. If you're a Christian today, are you willing to pay any price? Any price? I'm embarrassed. I'm shy. I don't want to talk to others. I might get my feelings hurt. I might have you know somebody think bad of me. You want somebody to think bad of you, or you want God to think bad of you? Anyway, on that note, thank you for your attendance. Thank God for a man named John the Baptist and what he did in the life of Christ to help under us understand who Jesus is. Let's close in word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that you give us to preach your word here, to study it. I thank you, Lord, for John the Baptist, for his life, for his ministry, for his willingness to stand up to those in charge and tell them, stop, that's wrong. Help us, Lord, to stand up in our community. Help us, Lord, to stand up in our government and say to them, stop is wrong. The things that you're doing are wrong. They're not right. Nothing you can say can make them right. They're wrong. Let Lord let us be men and women of integrity that we follow you and not the world. Again, thank you for all you do for us. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I thank you for your time and your attention today. I pray that you would uh, have a great day serving the Lord and next time we'll continue on this series, I'll learn more about who Jesus is.